You're listening to Life, the Universe, and Everything Else. Today on the show, the fight for free contraception. Life, the Universe, and Everything Else explores the intersection of science and society. If you have questions or comments about the show, or you'd like to suggest a topic, you can find us on Twitter or Facebook, or send us an email at lueepodcast at winnipegskeptics.com. Show notes and references can be found at lueepodcast.com. My name is Ashlyn Noble. I'm your host tonight, and my pronouns are she, they. I'm trying it out. And my contraception is I am on my second round of the Mirena Hormonal IUD, and I recommend it wholeheartedly. With us today, we have Jem Newman. Hi, my pronouns are he, him, and I have had a vasectomy. Kennedy Chaudhry. Hello, I'm Kennedy Chaudhry. My pronouns are she, her, and I use the copper IUD. And Teal Phelps Bonderoff. I'm Teal Phelps Bonderoff, and he, him, and my partner and I use an implant. Or the implant, I suppose I should say, with a capital D. So today we're joined by some very special guests. Kennedy Chaudhry has a master's degree in global health from McMaster University and currently serves as campaign coordinator for Access BC. And listeners should, of course, remember past guest Teal Phelps Bonderoff. Dr. Phelps Bonderoff has a PhD in politics and international studies from the University of Cambridge, and he's the chair and one of the co-founders of Access BC. Welcome to the show, you two. And it's good to be on. I guess I'm a repeat guest. It's great to come. We're talking fish. Now we're talking contraception. It's great. Yeah, we just can't get rid of you. <laughs> Always have to come back on. We're super excited to hear that the Access BC campaign is gaining some traction. We should, by the time this show is out, we will know whether the BC budget contains free contraception, which we're fingers crossed right now. But there's also a Manitoba campaign that they are going to tell us some more about. Yeah, well, I might just jump in and I mean, tell our listeners a bit about our campaign, maybe a bit of history. So we go back to 2017 and the campaign was founded right here over at my kitchen table. A couple of friends of mine and myself, my partner, we got together and we were frustrated at the financial barriers that exist preventing people from getting contraception. My background with the issue was I did my grad school in England, as Jen was mentioning, and all contraception is free in England. Prescription contraception is completely free. And so my partner and I came back to Canada and you've just finished your grad school and you're, you're broke and you're trying to, at this point, living in Burnaby, one of the most expensive places in the country to live in the world, in fact. And suddenly you get a bill for $400 for contraception. And like that is mind boggling. And I was appalled. And I connected with my old friend, Devin Black. She and I have been doing politics together for, at this point, a decade, 15 years now. And she'd been doing a lot of work on reproductive justice and sexual health advocacy here in, on Vancouver Island. And we thought, well, look, this is something we can change. Let's start a campaign. And the campaign started off as a Twitter account. And then we started working our policy through the structure of the BC NDP. Now, we are a nonpartisan campaign, but both Devin and I, we, we have a long back history with the NDP. And we thought, look, if the NDP gets into power, they can adopt this policy. And it's a great policy. When you look at free contraception, there's so many benefits, there's no drawbacks. And so we worked the policy through the party convention in 2017, it passed almost unanimously. And then we sat down with people from the Ministry of Health, told them more about free contraception. We said, look, we're looking forward to seeing this policy get adopted. When can we expect that? And they told us, well, it's one policy among many. 
and we need to pressure the government to prioritize this policy. So for the past four years, well, five years now, we've been running a letter writing campaign. We've been lobbying politicians. We've been securing endorsements from municipalities. We've been meeting with groups, securing allies, creating a network. And we went from four people around a kitchen table with a Twitter account to a team of more than 75 volunteers spread out across the province and Kennedy in, in Manitoba and people from all around Canada. We now have sister campaigns in Ontario, Manitoba, and there's been efforts around the country. So it's been this amazing effort and an amazing group of people that have come together around a really important issue that is based in reproductive justice. Kennedy, I understand that some of your graduate work was involved with the campaign. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I had a practicum portion that went along with my master's degree and wanted to find an organization really early on. Just a couple months into starting the program, I was kind of looking around online, seeing what I could get into that was focused on reproductive justice. And I found Access BC on a whim <laughs> on Google and just emailed Devin and Teal and tried to work something out. And yeah, got started with them in January. And that kind of led to what I focused my master's paper on. And I've learned a lot in the process and have hopefully been helpful to the organization. Yeah, and have just really enjoyed getting behind it. The really amazing thing, Kennedy joined the campaign the way that all of our volunteers join the campaign, which is they reach out to us. We haven't really actively recruited. So someone will find us online somehow. Maybe we do a few advertisements on Facebook and things like that. And they'll reach out. And the really cool thing is we've had people from so many different walks of life. So we have medical doctors, we have lawyers, retired health practitioners, students, and it's been really great because you have such a diversity of people with lots of different skills. So Ruth is one of our lead campaigners now, and she was a pharmacist and now she's a medical doctor. My co-founder, Devin, she's a lawyer, so she can write a press release in like five minutes. It takes me hours. I'm a political scientist. I do the sort of political strategy side of things and, and these days kind of hold down the fort. Kennedy has been, how many emails, you must have sent, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to count how many emails we've sent out, but Kennedy does our weekly email blast. So we've probably sent out 50, 60,000 emails over the past year or so. And I was reading about us section where you have the bios of all of the people who work with you. And that's a very impressive and long list of people that you have working that you haven't recruited. That's something to say. Oh, and, and that's only some of them, right? There's some folks that just didn't want to have their emails on there. And yeah, the thing I really like about the campaign is when it comes to policies like universal no-cost prescription contraception, it is so basic, right? So there's so many different things we need to do for reproductive justice, and this is like the most basic one. So in a sense, it's the low-hanging fruit. But a lot of the people that have joined the campaign are people who are like, say, for example, medical doctors who don't have experience in activism, but they do have that on-the-ground experience, that like amazing lived experience, and the stories they tell are heartbreaking and real and visceral. And so one of the things that we've been trying to do on the campaign is not just win this issue, because we are close to winning, and I will tell you more, well, Kennedy and I will tell you more about that soon, but we want to make sure that we equip the people on the campaign with skills that they can use on other issues, because the roots of the patriarchy run deep, as we say, and like we're really just chipping away at one root here. We want to have it so that after we've dealt with prescription contraception, we can talk about access to abortion and other injustices that are out there. It's one of the things that kind of had my eyes open to is all these different little barriers that exist. So when it comes to accessing contraception, for example, cost is one of the biggest ones. 
But there's all these indirect costs. So people have to, say, take time off work to travel to a clinic. And that might be easy if you jump on a SkyTrain. But if you live in a remote community, that could be an entire day of travel. And one of the harrowing stories we heard from one of our team members was she had to hitchhike in northern British Columbia for hours to get to a clinic, get her prescription, get it filled, go back a different day. So she had to put her kids in childcare or take time off work or school, Take go back another day, get her IUD inserted. And then my understanding is that's quite, that leaves you in a very vulnerable situation. I haven't had that experience, but often not getting- super IUD, fun. Right. And then has to hitchhike home after that, right? So all those different oh, factors are compounding barriers. So when we're talking about accessing contraception, we're saying, look, get rid of cost, there's still more work to be done. And so it's really exciting to work with people who, you can see people like we had this amazing volunteer, Erica, who was a wound nurse. And we met her at the Women's March before the pandemic. So, oh my gosh, like three years ago. And she just got excited about the campaign. And before you knew it, she was lobbying politicians with me and writing press releases. And it was amazing to see someone who really had never done any activism suddenly be sitting down there with a minister and lobbying them. It was, it was magical. So I don't think we're about to pretend to be sort of middle-of-the-road centrists who don't want to pay for healthcare on this podcast. You know us, like we're so far to the left that we can barely see the NDP from where we're sitting. But for some of our listeners who might not be as familiar with the arguments in favor of free contraception, do you want to kind of lay out the pitch for them? Yeah, do you want to jump in on this? Sure, I can take this one. Let's start with the maybe the abortion argument with and its relationship to contraception. The idea that there's people that are against choice and against abortion. The, those are the people that actually should be supporting free contraception. But then right. they're coming at it from this angle of why should I pay for somebody else's sex life? Well, studies have been done that are showing that that's going to save money in the long run. Investing in contraception will lower abortions, which have a huge cost to them. So really, you should be supporting free contraception if you are against abortion or are a fiscal conservative. It's so similar to the other argument that we're always making is just give people money. And but people say, well, but what we can't just give people money. We don't have a lot of money. But if you give people money, you get more in return because of all kinds of factors. But there's particular groups of people that just refuse to hear those arguments. And one of the wild things, and Kennedy, you're probably looking for the Colorado study, right? Yeah, uh, I was trying to find the, the statistics yeah. on that. So there's this, this program in Colorado. It was a private program, but they gave out 43,713 IUDs, the copper IUDs. And those cost this private organization $28 million. And that seems like a lot of money, but it reduced the teen pregnancy rate by 54%. It reduced the teen abortion rate by 64% over the eight-year period, and it saved the government an estimated $70 million. And that was just one tiny program for one form of contraception. It's my understanding that like high school graduation rates went up. Like There were so many good knock-on effects. The contraception yeah. is preventative health care, right? And people who are interested in maintaining a healthy society know that Preventative healthcare is very important. Well, that was the Colorado program, right? And there's some deficiencies with that, right? Like you're focusing on one type of contraception, right? And one of the things that we're always talking about is not all forms of contraception work for different people in different situations. All prescription contraception must be free. So yeah, Colorado program, fantastic. But like that doesn't include implants and injections and, and rings and all sorts of different forms of contraception that are available. But yeah, there was a study done here in British Columbia. Now it's 10 years old now or... 12 years old. Again, time is becoming less and less relevant with the pandemic. That was done by Options for Sexual Health. And they found that free contraception would save our province $95 million a year. And that's in like direct social costs. 
So every dollar you spend, you're saving like $90 in social supports. And that's because if you can't afford contraception, you probably also can't afford to raise a child. And that's going to put pressure on the system. And so that's another great reason. And we use that one, the abortion argument that Kennedy brought up and the cost-saving argument. Those are our fiscal conservative winners, right? Because someone's like, I'm not going to pay for someone else to have sex. Well, you're A, you're already paying. And B... (laughs) Do you want to just throw money in the burning money pit? Because that's what you're doing now. Obviously, there's more important arguments around equity. Like, even if this did cost more money, we should still do it. But those money arguments, I find them deeply compelling because then the only argument against this policy is deeply bathed in misogyny. And there's really nothing. With Kennedy, was it you that was talking to me about like the best arguments against the policy or was it someone else who was doing their master's? I had some in my paper, but it was like the financial aspect and the abortion. Those are my two go-tos because... Those are the people you are fighting the most when you're trying to put policy like this out there. So those are my go-tos. Yeah. If you're going to save that much money, the only argument you have left is, but I don't like it. Yeah, (laughs) precisely. But I don't want it. Well, and some of the humorous, not humorously, but sometimes when you see people trying to, we've been doing this campaign for five years, so you see all the different counter arguments online. And sometimes the arguments are terrible. And sometimes they cost you your job. So there is one MLA here in British Columbia that is no longer a member of the Legislative Assembly because he gave the wrong answer when asked about our policy during the last election. And his very safe conservative or in British Columbia, the Liberal Party, his very conservative seat was lost to the NDP because he decided to, what did they say? He made some terribly atavistic comments about eugenics and contraception and then had to resign from his party and his party endorsed our policy. So all three major parties in the last election endorsed our policy. And there's nothing like falling on your misogynistic sword so spectacularly. You lose a seat in a situation where there was a minority government and your party has to not only kick you out, but also endorse the policy. It was as a moment of I guess it, to me it was heartening simply because right now we in Canada, we look around and we see the sort of rise of far right fringe is growing in prominence. And it's nice to know that they can get sort of spanked back down when they pop their head above the parapets inappropriately in this case. But yeah, that was one of my favorite moments on the campaign was Lori Thronez no longer has a seat. And it's because when we, by the way, we talked to him, we lobbied him and explained that this was not the case in advance. So he knew better, but decided that he just wouldn't get with the last 70 years of human progress, I suppose. But there were some other, I mean, some other reasons why the policy is amazing, right? So Kennedy was talking about savings and, and abortions, but the equity argument is a really powerful one too, right? So here I am a, a cis dude. And if I want to get contraception, I can go to free condom. Like if I can't find a free condom here in Victoria, I'm not looking for one, right? And However, like an IUD and and let the listeners know that I'm currently brandishing an IUD into the camera, but an IUD like this one, this little tiny piece of plastic, this is a hormonal IUD, could cost as much as $380. And that's a lot of money. I mean, that's for a student, that could be your entire term of books. That could be a month's rent. I mean, not out here on the, on the West Coast, but it could conceivably Maybe be. Maybe here. Yeah. 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 We, we, we can't I forget have- it really excellent insurance and both of mine still cost $90 each which is a lot of money for a lot of people. Yeah. And that's abhorrent that you're paying that money and and that could be a huge factor, right? And the other that thing could too be is we, a month's worth of food for a lot of people. And we can't forget that contraception is finding the contraception that works for your body can be a process, right? So we got some comments in our most recent Facebook ad where someone was saying like I got an IUD and it didn't work with my body and had this impact on it. Okay, well, suddenly that $90 or $380 piece of plastic needs to come out right away and you got to try something else. So then you're adding another expensive form of contraception on top of that and then another one. And 
there's a risk where someone may not say, well, this contraception is okay, but I'm having some hormonal issues or more bleeding than I'd like or whatever. And suddenly they're not choosing the best medicine for them because they can't afford it. Like that to me is, is abhorrent. And I mean, I don't really want to live in a country where that's the case. And that's kind of why we're fighting this fight. That leads me to another question that I've been wondering about. What is your relationship to sort of the bigger campaign to just make all prescription drugs free in Canada? We are, I mean, I can speak to this one here, Kennedy, and I, I'm, I'm sorry to jump in on this one right away. We, we strongly support pharmacare, right? And the way that I've always kind of framed it is free prescription contraception is a great way to introduce people to the magic of universal pharmacare. The savings for contraception are like, as we said, a dollar to $90. My understanding is the savings for pharmacare are like two to one or one to three. I don't know the exact stats on that. So for every dollar you spend, you save three, but that's not as dramatic a savings. So for us, it's like, look, do with contraception, get it done right away, use it to validate pharmacare, which we should have had a three decades ago anyways. And then we can have even stronger argument for pharmacare. And ultimately the British model is free contraception for everybody and then a flat rate for all other medicine. And it's like six pounds 50 if you're over 18 and under 65. That's what they do in the UK. It works great. At the Olympic opening ceremonies, they were celebrating the NHS and their pharmacare system. I know, do you have any thoughts on pharmacare? No, I think you covered it. I'm trying to think of the word. I know when you're floating an idea, it's like a trial balloon. Mm -hmm. What is it when it's like an actual policy? Something Maybe a Trojan horse. Oh, sorry. Trojan Trojan horse. Horse. <laughs> yeah, all of the drugs are going to march out in the middle of the night. Well, I couldn't resist the obvious contraception pun there as well, right? So you've got a couple. Oh, no. Oh, I'm sorry. But no, but really what it is, is it's, it's introducing, I think a lot of times people don't realize that there's all these different arguments around universal pharmacare. And this is just one of them. But there is actually something that's worth noting. And that is some universal pharmacare programs only cover medicine. And some forms of contraception are not technically classified as medicine. They're classified mm. as devices. Medical devices. Um, yeah. So the copper IUD sometimes falls through the cracks. Now, most governments, if you're setting up universal pharmacare, aren't going to make this mistake, but they can. And so then the conversation is, okay, well, look, some of these items are medical devices. So we want to make sure that they have their own coverage. So that's come up a few times when people are like, well, why is my insulin free? Your insulin should be free. <laughs> and your contraception should be free. And if you're designing a program, it has to include medical devices as well. I would like to add a small aside about another goofy rule that Canada has about medical devices, or rather the States does, I believe. So pads are considered medical devices. And for some cases, that is a good thing. Like people can use their health spending account or whatever if they have one to buy things like that. However, on the other side of things, people who have a sewing machine in their home who want to sew cloth pads and sell them on Etsy need to pay an absolutely outrageous fee in order to tell the government, I'm going to be selling a medical device. It's like 14 grand, absolutely prohibitive for anybody who just wants to make a cloth pad and send it to people and sell it to people. So that's my gripe of the day. A friend of mine runs a fairly large cloth pad business and just gets every year she posts an angry post about this fee. (laughs) Wow. That's outrageous. Yeah. Medical devices. And the fee doesn't even go to anything. It just is, they don't inspect anything. They don't ask for any samples. It's just, we acknowledge that you told us that you sell medical devices. And the fee is exactly the same, whether it's a home business or it's like Bayer. (laughs) This is one of the risks 
you often run into. So like one of the conversations we had, this is like early in our campaign, but AOC tweeted out, we should get rid of prescriptions for some forms of contraception. Now, I'm not the medical doctor, so I know some of them you probably want to talk to a doctor, but sometimes like you can just get the pill at, at like gas stations in most places. Plan B should be available for free in vending machines on all campuses, right? But we often talk about that as like, okay, you have to make sure you do the policies in order, right? It has to be free contraception, then remove prescriptions on whatever one it's appropriate to remove on. Because if people have health plans at work that cover prescriptions and you remove prescriptions, suddenly they have to pay for them out of pocket because it's not covered with their plan. So it's this kind of adjacent to the menstrual product conversation. But I want to share a really fun anecdote. And this is actually, I think, Kennedy, before you joined the campaign, we had this magical moment. So one of the things we've been doing on the campaign is we've been messaging municipalities to get their support. The background is I play ice hockey with a municipal counselor. It was International Women's Day a few years ago. I brought a bunch of cards, passed them around the locker room and told all the guys to write letters to their MLA to ask them for free contraception. We have a very lovely lefty hockey team. We're the Crows. Go Crows. <laughs> and he's like, look, let's just get the city of Victoria to endorse this policy. So we did. City of Victoria was all in. And we reached out to every municipality in the province and a bunch of them stepped up. And a couple of them, like it doesn't take any effort for a municipality to do this. We write the motion for them. It takes them five minutes. And all they really need to do is just pass a motion. Yeah, again, like as a politician, why wouldn't you want to pass a motion that costs you nothing and makes you look good? Yeah. Well, once they say yes, we, of course, don't miss an opportunity to lobby them further. And so for the town of Valemont, which is a very small town in British Columbia, they were like, yeah, we're going to endorse your policy. But like, can we do something actually productive? And of course, we said, yeah, make all menstrual products free in your washrooms. Well, how much is that going to cost? Well, the town of Valemont has one washroom and it's open on Sundays for the market. <laughs> so they passed a motion to allocate $1,555 for free menstrual products in all and condoms, sorry, in all village public facilities. Now, the fact that there's only one village facility is kind of secondary, but it was this great moment of, I guess, step-by-step -step advocacy, right? You open the door with emotion and then you say, well, now that we're here, maybe we should talk about other injustices and other ways that we can improve equity in your municipality. And Vailmont was one of our small wins. We're oh, really good. Yeah, yeah, Vailmont. Yeah. <laughs> one of the other ones I liked was the town of, of Sparwood, where we sent them a letter and their counselors, and this actually comes back to the, the argument, Kennedy, you were talking about was the, well, I'm not going to pay for someone else to have sex argument. That was brought up in council when they reviewed our letter as official correspondence. And they rejected receiving our letter. Like you can receive a letter and do nothing. You can not receive a letter or you could do what the letter asks you to do. And they chose to like ignore our letter. Well, a couple local women got very upset about this because that was a ridiculous thing for them to do. And they watched the council meeting where the counselor said ridiculous things. They reached out to us and were like, look, you can just ask them to revisit their decision. And overnight, 230 people joined a Facebook group, the Sparward Warriors, and urged their council to change their policy. For context, that's a quarter or like a tenth of the city. <laughs> So it's like the village of Sparwood. So this is like a significant part of the community. Next week, the council was like, okay, I guess we better revise that decision. Sparwood is now on our list of municipalities that have endorsed the policy. And then this amazing team of women were like, we have this organization. What do we do? I'm like, well, what else is wrong in Sparwood? Well, there's a problem with the water. So now they're the Sparwood water warriors. And last time I heard from them, they were fighting for cleaner water in the trailer park there. So it was nice. amazing. It was this beautiful sort of step-by-step -step thing. And it's one of the things I love about good activism, where you build in little victories that build momentum. So you don't burn out, you bring people in and you help people shine and develop new skills. And that's, it's been magical. But that was, yeah, some of my favorite stories in the campaign. 
That's awesome. And it's sorry I glitched out there earlier. I don't know if everybody heard the end of my story even or what happened, but... <laughs> it was a good rant on pads. Yep. Yeah. Great. So it's great to see the victories keep coming in BC. And as Ashlyn mentioned, we'll soon find out if the ultimate victory is at hand there. Can you tell us a little bit more about this campaign in Manitoba that you're getting off the ground? Yeah, so the campaign that's called Birth Control MB, they were having a meeting today. So I actually was not at the meeting. I don't know, Teal, if you were or knew about it, but it was started, I believe, by Dr. Helen Pymar, who's obstetrician gynecologist here in Winnipeg. And she had some medical students and other medical professionals interested and had reached out to you, Teal. And then you put them in touch with me and I've kind of been like the go-between a little bit, but I've been quite busy and haven't been able to keep in touch as much as I'd like. But it's great that the ball has started to roll again because we kind of hit a pause there. I mean, there's a lot going on in other spaces right now. Um, I can't imagine what I'd be referring to. (laughs) No, yeah, the elephant in the room. But hopefully after this meeting today, we gain some momentum and start getting some things going. There is a Twitter account. It's Birth Control MB. And we've got an email for those of you who would like to join, which I can send that email around. Yeah, it's very early days, but it's exciting. (laughs) What What kinds of help do you need right now? Just people. We need people, dedicated people, because there's obviously a lot of people who care about this issue, but they're all very busy individuals and they don't all have a teal who is very dedicated and holding down the fort all of the time. So I think we're just looking for as many people who want to get in and if we can distribute smaller tasks so we have a few people on social media to really gain some traction because I think that's been the biggest thing is just finding people to regularly keep up with some tasks like monitoring yeah Twitter email everything like that one of the things that we've noticed on these kinds of campaigns is there's an infinite number of things you could do and so yeah Helen and I we connected oh gosh years ago and then The campaign was kind of an ice for a bit because you need a kind of critical mass of people to keep it trucking along Yeah, because it's it's more work than one person can do. And the more people you have, as Kennedy says, like it makes easier work. But once you have this amazing team, you can start doing things like getting municipal endorsements or we participated in budget consultations. We do joint statements. And one of the things the Access BC campaign has been doing is helping campaigns elsewhere. So if someone is, say, not in Manitoba, there's an Ontario campaign, please get in touch with them. We'll make sure a link goes around to our two sister campaigns. But let's say you're hanging out in anywhere else in Canada or beyond and you want resources like you don't need to learn how to write a press release. We'll just give you our press releases. You don't need to like write a statement for International Women's Day. We'll give you our last statement and you can just adjust it. And a lot and of I'm the- sure you know this, but that's how a lot of conservative bills get passed is that they just get rewritten just for the particular city or town or state or province that they want to spread their garbage in and then they throw it to whoever will take it from there. So nobody ever writes their own original these things. Well, and like, for example, we have a four page briefing paper link somewhere available and the details. I'm starting to get my shameless plugging mode here. Right. But our briefing paper, like it's been researched with our amazing team of people with lots of different experience. If you're running a campaign, you could just adjust that for your province and you don't need to. How many footnotes do we have from that thing? <laughs> you know, you don't need to fill out the gosh, 29 footnotes on a four page briefing paper. You can just use it, right? And there's a lot of these barriers that exist to getting a campaign started that we're trying to help people surmount. So whether it's how do you start a campaign? How do you do lobbying? Like I was on the phone with our friends in Ontario a while back. They were doing a campaign and they just didn't 
know how to do a statement for a day of action. So we help them write a statement. And anything that's sort of going to stumble someone, it's already been done, like you said. So we've been really excited about that aspect. And what we're hoping for BC is that it'll inspire other campaigns. So my dream would be like BC does it. I mean, they should have done it a few years ago, but BC implements free prescription contraception. And then we kind of start getting all the other provinces doing it. And then again, that creates momentum for more access to all medicine. And then it's part of this broader movement for reproductive justice. I don't know about you folks, but like I've been watching the absolute disaster of what's going on in the United States, this rising theocracy and, and misogyny, and it's horrifying. And a lot of people come to our campaign looking for something they can do. We should all support our friends campaigning in America, but like there's not much I can do to help people in, in Texas. Like, yeah, I'll throw some money to the satanic temple because they're doing important work, but like there's not much you can really do, right? But our campaign is something you can do, right? You can step up and like make Canada that beacon of equity, of justice, and then it'll help create momentum for other places. I mean, just that example of Colorado that Kennedy was talking about, having that kind of data that you can hit someone about the head with really does make for, it makes it easier. Yep. That's for sure. I feel like it's also not to be a Debbie Downer, but like extra frustrating when you have that data. Like we have here the Dauphin study where we studied in our own province what happens if you just give people money. The result, kids go to school and nobody works less. And that was like 1978 and we still don't have a UBI here. Yeah, the only people who worked less was, I believe, students and people who had to care for sick relatives worked very slightly less. Yeah, the people they, that we would like to give a break not to. to work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so that frustrates me. I mean, if I had UBI, I would be way more efficient because as an academic and an activist researcher, like I spend disproportionate amounts of my time writing grants. <laughs> I don't really need, you know. <laughs> And and most of my research these days because of COVID is like, oh my, and you kind of, you know that how this is. Our research is on our desk. We don't need to have like expensive field work. Like we're not studying right. access to contraception in Fiji. Would be nice though. The Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So you kill my Wi-Fi and suddenly like, that always frustrates me too. Or like with UBI, I would be doing exactly what I'm doing and probably turning out more reports and being more effective because those grants take forever. Mm-hmm. And I heard that you were talking about some successes when I managed to get back on the call. Have you actually touched upon the upcoming budget announcement? We haven't. I don't Kennedy, I've been doing too much talking. <laughs> Do you want to talk about where we're at now, right before the budget, the kind of current status? Sure. Yeah, we are in our final push before the budget is released. So we were doing a letter writing campaign where we were sending letters to five new MLAs every two weeks in British Columbia. But now that it's our final push before the budget comes out, we're encouraging everyone to write their own local MLA. So that's where we've been at. And we've been trying to source some funding and dropping ads and just get the word out there to to really pump up the pressure a little bit right before the budget. Yeah. Well, and it's my understanding that this is something that was promised and was campaigned on and just hasn't been implemented, which, again, frustrating. It is. Yeah, we've been getting the same response whenever we ask what's going on. And it has been, it's just taking time and it's coming and they want to do it right. And which is frustrating to hear when it's been a bit of time. But I think we can understand a little bit of the planning that goes into it. But hopefully it's time now. (laughs) And as I was mentioning, like in the last election, so the last provincial election in British Columbia was in 2020. And it was after a minority government during a pandemic. It was 
fraught with peril for the governing party, the BCNDP won a majority. But the Green Party endorsed our policy. The Liberals, as I mentioned, endorsed our policy or had to endorse our policy. <laughs> One would hope that they would have done so anyway. They were persuaded. <laughs> they were persuaded indeed. But after, like, so we've been participating in the last three budget consultations as well. So what that is, is the government asks for stakeholders. And it's kind of wild that we've become a stakeholder. Like we were literally five years ago, Twitter account, but we've been a stakeholder and we will give presentations to the budget committee about our issue. We've done the last three and all three of those committees have endorsed free contraception because again, it's a total no brainer. So we have that endorsed. And then going into the new government, our minister of health, Adrian Dix, his mandate letter included free contraception. So it's something he's been instructed to do during his term. So as Kennedy was saying, like we're playing the waiting game right now. And this campaign has certainly taught us patience. We are pre-writing our press releases for Budget Day because you don't want to write a press release in anger or frustration. Yeah, you got to <laughs> write all the different versions. <laughs> those, this is another an important lesson. You might be mad now, but you can't burn that bridge because you have to sit down with that minister next week and lobby them. For me, it's been a lesson because it's been a long campaign. And we've had people whose children have been born during the campaign who are now walking and going to school. So <laughs> it's been a longer one. But it's promising that the government's promised to do it. As Kennedy mentioned, we want to make sure they do it right. But our lobbying has also shifted now to A, get it done. Come on now, seriously. I think our campaign is best summarized by the Judge Judy emoji of her just tapping her watch. That's literally where we're at right now, just impatiently tapping our watch. However, the other two things we were focusing on was making sure that the policy covers as many forms of contraception as, as possible. That includes implants, which have just become available in BC last year, but also emerging technologies, right? So there's a whole bunch of different contraceptives that are available for people with testes, and those are kind of still vaguely on the horizon. When those are around, we want those free as well. Injectable goo! There's the injectable goo, there's the pill that causes a retrograde orgasm, and then there's the bath thing. I don't know if I buy the ultrasonic bath. The data's not out on that one. Yeah. When you say um, the implant has just been available in BC, you mean like the little implanon or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. It's about a year. Gosh, I think it's only been a year that it's been available. Oh, wow. It's been available everywhere else like forever, hasn't it? Yeah. My partner had it in the UK a decade ago. That's <laughs> wild. Yeah. My best friend had it here. So it's not like it was a Canadian thing either. It was, BC was a bit slow to bring it out. I Don't quote me the date because again, COVID and dates are weird, but yeah, they were a bit slow to bring it out. And like BC, and here's another one, by the way, just back to what Kennedy was saying with abortion. Myth Priston and Mifgamiso, the abortion pills, were made free like in 2018 in British Columbia. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Technically, they were available beforehand. You had to pay for them, basically. Yeah. Now, they, those are free. And those pills cost about the same as an IUD. And they are literally an abortion. Come on, people. <laughs> they work once. Right? <laughs> wow. So, but we, we've been finding that like around our current... What was the other main advocacy point, Kennedy? We were talking about speeding things up, making sure it covered all forms of contraception. We added it to our last statement. We had a Black History Month statement, and it was dealing with other barriers. And that's kind of what we started the talk about, which is we want to make sure that the government doesn't use free contraception as an excuse to drop the ball on other barriers to reproductive health, sex education, and, and like other fights for justice and equity and, and reproductive justice in particular. We wouldn't want it to be like, well, we made contraception free, so we can move on. We're done. Equity. The world is it's equitable. It's just the first hurdle. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We want to make sure that doesn't happen because, as we said earlier, like, yeah, there's a lot more work to be done. And this is just the start of it. Uh, Kennedy, I read your thesis, of course. And yeah. I was wondering if you could talk a bit more about the Manitoba context, just not to put you on the spot. But that no, too, because yeah, I know yeah. the BC context really well. But I think the Manitoba context is going to be, I think, quite informative for folks. Out there. It is quite a hill. I will say that. 
Yes. So I wrote my paper essentially on the Manitoba PC Party's impact on women just since 2016, which if anybody's seen the news since then, our government likes to play hot potato with the reproductive justice issue. Also quite afraid to say the word abortion in any public context or otherwise. So I was, yeah, basically going through transcripts from the Legislative Assembly, going through media sources, anything, especially covering the Mifkamizo period here in Manitoba. We were the second last province to offer it, by the way. Last only was Saskatchewan, so I mean, nothing to be proud of here. (laughs) Yeah, and just assessing the patterns that I was seeing in our health ministers since 2016, and and even Heather Stevenson coming in as uh, Minister of Health and the first female Minister of Health for the PC party just last January, and having that public announcement that reproductive justice and anything to do with reproductive health was not going to be under the Ministry of Health, but rather the Minister for the Status of Women, because, and I quote, reproductive health remains a woman's issue. According oh my to god! The PC party, and that was the inspiration for my papers. You truly <laughs> had just a parade of monsters in that role for oh, sure a long have. time. You had a very short term as Minister of Health, fucked it up real bad, and then got to be Premier. Yeah, that's how you do it. I mean, the latter, yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, and I would like to point out, back in, what was it, 2018, at the Life Hike Rally in Steinbach, our Minister of Health, Kevin Gertzen, not only attended the anti-abortion rally, but spoke. So we've got that on our conscience as well. It's interesting that there's this like taboo around like sexual and reproductive health. Like even in BC, we have a relatively sort of center left party running the province and they're still reticent to often. I mean, they're talking about it. It's out there, but you can still see some politicians you meet with, even those in the sort of more left persuasion being a little awkward around it. And they're so old. Well, there's that too. Yeah. We, we sometimes like to make the politicians squirm a little bit. So when we do some of our lobby meetings, we'll go around the room. Like this is before COVID. We have like seven or eight activists down at the legislature. We're meeting with an MLA or ministry staff. And we start by introducing ourselves, our pronouns, and what kind of contraception we use and how much it costs. Oh my and God, first, that's so good. So we do know a couple of our MLAs who are open with the kind of contraception they use and a few people that politely declined. Obviously, you can give us as much information as you want. But I just love that first time we did that where we're going around the room and you can sort of see the looks on a couple staffers faces like, oh, I didn't realize it was going to be one of those kinds of conversations. Love it. I wanted to mention just one of the arguments we didn't talk about at the top of the conversation about another really good reason for free contraception. It just kind of popped in my head. I realized we didn't cover all of them, Kennedy. We've missed some. Yeah, one of them is privacy. Just back to our non-privacy inducing lobbying technique. One of the things that comes Uh up a lot is young people will often be covered under their parents' health plan. And so we get this argument sometimes, well, young people, they're covered already. And yeah, that is true. Very many young people are covered under their parents' health plans. But then they have to decide between giving up their privacy or accessing contraception. And like some parents, totally cool. Great that their kid's using contraception. Some situations that could put your safety at risk, your well-being, your housing. That's a situation that some people don't want to be in. They want that medical privacy. That's why we have privacy in medicine. And so one of the arguments that we use very often, it's a really compelling one as well, is you really need to have free contraception because young people are particularly impacted by financial barriers and they have a right to privacy about their medical choices. And that's been a really significant one as well. So yeah, I shouldn't flippantly talk about putting politicians on the spot and then not mention that privacy is critical when it comes to these things because not everyone's 
I was raised by hippie artists, right? But not everyone's in the kind of situation. And and sometimes you could put yourself in jeopardy by revealing to your parents that you want to use contraception. No, I was just going to reiterate what Teal was saying. Yeah, it's you, privacy is incredibly important and you don't want to be putting somebody in the position where they have to choose between using contraception and risking putting themselves in harm's way with their family or not using contraception. And that was part of the Colorado study as well, wasn't it? Like anybody, was it 15 or 16 and above could get it from their doctor without parental permission? I felt like that was a pretty important part of the bill because that's going to cover so many people who couldn't get it otherwise. The privacy thing, just to build on that, yeah, I I think it may have been, but the privacy thing comes in another angle as well. Because one of the arguments I've just seen on our, we run some ads on Facebook and you get, we stop running ads to men, by the way, because (laughs) the internet is a toxic cesspool of misogyny, but we still get some people who don't quite get it. One of the comments we got recently on an ad was like, well, like just buy condoms, right? And this is another privacy angle, which is not all people are in a life situation where they can just use a condom because a condom is a visible form of contraception. You might want to have a more discreet form of contraception to avoid like stealthing and potentially abusive situations. And there's this co-founder, Devin, wrote a great piece on intimate partner violence and contraception, how people can mess with people's pills. An IUD cannot be, your potentially abusive partner can't manipulate your IUD, but they could potentially manipulate your pills. They could poke holes in condoms or stealth or do other forms of, of abuse. And so it's one of those situations where like, no, like, People's life situations are very complicated and they need the right form of contraception for them. And sometimes that's a discrete thing like an implant or an IUD or an injection. And it's just sort of one of those things where the more you peek into the issue, the more reasons there are for free contraception and the fewer reasons. Again, we've yet to see a compelling at all attempt at an argument against it. Sure. Kennedy, are there any questions that you love being asked that we haven't asked yet? Oh, any questions that I love being asked? Usually just anything that allows me to just rage a little bit on Manitoba, (laughs) which I feel I've done a little bit. So I think I'm pretty content answering anything. Yeah. Yeah. Previously mentioned, Heather Stephenson is removing all of our mask and vaccine mandates starting very soon. And by March 15th, we're supposed to have absolutely nothing at all protecting anybody. Love it. My favorite. Absolutely appalling. And we've got Uh, people driving trucks across our country trying to fight for the freedom to get other people sick. I mean, I don't I don't think we want I don't want to get into that tonight. (laughs) We just had my eldest daughter just turned nine. So we had her birthday today and we had an outdoor party. Friends around the campfire and hot chocolate and sledding on the giant toboggan hill we built in the back and pinata. It was great and was distanced outside and safe and like that and just as we were packing up our neighbors drove by coming back from the ledge from the protest with the stop trudeau's tyranny plastered across their truck so yeah we've got they weren't talking here in manitoba the sad thing is they're not talking about his lies around electoral reform it's never that right no These are the same neighbors who had, during election season, had the Stop Trudeau's Communist Agenda on their lawn. And I always laugh when I saw that sign because you have no idea what actual communists think of Trudeau. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. That one always drives me nuts. I see some of these interviews like these these communist fascists. Whoa, 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 hold on now. (laughs) We need to go back to PolySide 101 here and have a conversation about the means of production and (laughs) Oh my goodness. Oh yeah, that one, it just, sometimes your head just spins. It's, I don't know where to go with them. It's, we live in interesting times, I suppose, which. <laughs> no, I was just saying that's one way to put it. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Where we're at, speaking of interesting, is the budget comes out on February 22nd. 
So we're basically sort of, yeah, fingers double crossed, waiting to see what will happen. Kennedy was saying the the BC budget, the provincial budget or okay, provincial budget. That's right. Yeah. So we're at this point, we're trying to get as many letters in. I mean, a letter two days before the budget comes out is unlikely to get the ministry to like take a red pen and like pencil in $65 million for free contraception. It might happen, but probably not. So at this point, though, we're trying to mobilize as many people as possible to get those letters in. If you listen to this before then, accessbc.org. It will not be out by then. Sorry. (laughs) I will definitely not be listening to it by then. (laughs) In that case, go to accessbc.org to figure out what happened. Or hopefully our amazing hosts can give you some back history after we, what just happened, what went down, kind of a recap. But we're- Make sure we have an update. Yeah. But but we kind of have, regardless of the outcome, we're going to keep trucking along, right? So if it's in the budget- the policy is promised, but it hasn't been implemented, which means that we then have to work to make sure that it's implemented effectively and deal with some of the issues that we talked about, making sure it covers as many forms of contraception as possible. Kennedy was talking about making sure the rollout is equitable. There already are places that give free contraception in Vancouver. Like if you live in Vancouver, you can find some forms of free prescription contraception. That doesn't do anything for someone living in Lumbee or in a hundred mile house. And so basically we want to make sure that the policy is good. And then we're going to keep an eye on it because we want that data a couple years down the road to then hopefully other places get free contraception before then. But if they don't, we want that data to show just how impactful it was. In your face data. Exactly. You can't say no to a giant multi-million dollar figure. So we're going to keep, regardless of what happens on budget day, and I think this policy would have been implemented years ago if our whole province hadn't been flooded and then burned and then covered in a pandemic. So it does make, and then all the roads got washed out. So it's it's been a tough year for British Columbia here. But one of the things that we are always raving at, I suppose, or screaming into the void about is that you can't let reproductive justice fall by the wayside because you have to do these things. Just because the highways got washed out or half the province is on fire doesn't mean you can forget about equity and justice and people's health. And that's kind of what we've been hopefully we've been talking about for the past few years. And I think critically, and I'll, I'll let Kennedy hopefully end with some of her inspirational words. My hope is that we inspire people across the country to step up on this issue. And it's a great stepping stone to bigger issues, to fighting for those broader reproductive justice issues. And as I said earlier, becoming a beacon of hope for our other people around the world, because fascist Catholics are taking over Poland and LGBTQ rights are being eroded in Russia. And I mean, I don't want to go into a list. It'll depress us at the end here, but we can be a beacon of hope and Canada has to step up. And if your province isn't doing something, call your MLA and like demand a 15 minute Zoom call with them. You're a constituent. Ask them what they're doing about free contraception. If they're not doing anything, talk to us. Awesome. Thank you. Did you come up with any inspirational words to end us on, Kennedy? Boy, inspirational words. Okay, I'll try and tuck away my pessimism for a second and just say that I think BC will pave the way. I think it's coming out. I think what Teal and everybody at Access BC has been doing is really valuable and it's really making a difference. And I have a good feeling it's going to create a ripple effect across Canada. And Some of us might have larger battles in our provinces than others, but I think we're getting there and we're already seeing sister campaigns pop up and it's only a matter of time before we're all raging. And that's what I hope for. I hope to inspire others to rage. Those are great parting words. So we have listeners in Manitoba and in BC and across Canada. So what's the best way that they can get involved in the campaigns in their area or maybe start their own? I'll let Teal speak to starting your own. I don't have any experience in that, but I will say if you're in Manitoba, we do have a Twitter account going, which is again, Birth Control MB. If you want to check it out, there is a campaign in Ontario called Contraception 
capital O-N at the end for Ontario. Yeah, so if you're in those provinces, Teal, you know the one in Alberta, but I heard that's yeah, we had some friends, in the meantime. But. We had some friends in Alberta that, that were working, getting things set up, and they got very distracted by the Kenny regime. But yeah, if folks are interested in starting their own campaign, first of all, go to accessbc.org and check out what we have there. We've got our previous statements. We've got information about what we've been working on over the years. And I think critically, too, don't be overwhelmed by like what we've done. Not to well, I'm going to toot our own horn here for a second. It's been five years. We've done numerous statements for International Women's Day, Red Umbrella Day. We did one Black History Month. We did one for International Day of Women and Girls in Science. So don't be intimidated by the sheer volume of stuff we've churned out over the past half decade. Instead, remember that we literally started off as a Twitter account with a really cool logo that was designed by like a doctor in Calgary and just a passion to smash the patriarchy. And every promise is going to be different, right? So if you're fighting an uphill battle right now because you're in Alberta and it looks hopeless, I grew up in Alberta and it was hopeless, (laughs) it seems hopeless, you can win these arguments and you can get these policies passed, but it takes time. And I mean, Kenneth and I were both mentioning like patience is critical, right? You can have the great policy, but just having a great policy isn't enough. You need to have advocacy around it, a team, you need to lobby hard. And it's going to take some time. So even with a progressive government here in British Columbia, it's still taken us five years and we're not quite there yet. So if you are in a province that's less woke than BC, it might take you a bit longer, but it's well worth it. And the thing I like about this policy is it's a small thing that it's achievable. Like I've been doing NDP politics for well 15 years now and we've been hollering about pharmacare. <laughs> I know, Jem, you mentioned pharmacare. And like, that would be lovely and it has to happen and we can't stop pushing for it. But I like breaking these things down to small chunks, right? So the idea of like fighting climate change is an overwhelming prospect for say a small community group, but maybe you want to focus on road safety in your community. So more people bike, or maybe you want to smash the patriarchy, but its roots run deep. So you're going to take an ax to the reproductive justice branch instead. And so the idea is that you take these small chunks, you build up the momentum and This is something we've learned on this campaign. Like we've had 29 municipalities endorse our campaign, but it just started with one and then two, and then a few of them got on board and it slowly builds over time. And for example, you build press contacts. You'll have people, suddenly the press, you won't be desperate for press. You'll be getting it when you don't want it. And they'll be calling you up when something happens and you'll start getting that earned media and you'll start getting attention, which puts pressure on politicians and it kind of gets a momentum of its own. But I mean, the biggest lesson I've personally learned as someone who studies activism and political strategy as an academic is patience and persistence, dogged persistence is necessary for this one. I've been thinking, Teal, you have big like golden retriever energy and not everybody needs to be a golden retriever. We need lots of different types of doggies to get this done. All of our working dogs and our (laughs) all kinds of puppies. Oh, like I was saying, our team here has been amazing because you have some folks that we had a team up at UBC. Jem, you were talking about sort of the challenges we put medical students through. There was a team of students at UBC and they had their political advocacy community group and they were interviewing people about their lived experiences with challenges trying to access contraception. So there's a section on our website called the Inclusive Contraception Project where you can read a few of these interviews. They're anonymized, but they're quite intimate. And That was a really great contribution in my mind because it was someone saying like, look, we don't have time to go and meet with politicians because we're students and we don't really want to spend time fighting with people on Twitter. So maybe we can learn new research skills and apply them to the campaign. Or Kennedy, you're the best example here because like Kennedy made a master's program and is surprisingly not the only person who's done a master's program who's worked on our campaign. Like we had our entire social media strategy was someone's graduate project from Quest University. (laughs) Like. 
I love this idea of folks just saying, well, look, not only am I going to fight for reproductive justice, but I'll get a publication out of it or a master's. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and all you people in everyone. grad school right now, think about what you can do activism-wise that will also further your academic career. And if you're setting up a campaign and you're like, I've never lobbied a politician before, we have a, like a 10-page guide that we wrote up. We'll just send it to you. And I'm happy to Zoom with you at some point and like walk you through the process because there's a lot of little tricks that you may not have thought of because... Not everyone lobbies politicians on a weekly basis, or you might, you may experience internet trolls and decide, do you want to block them or maybe engage with them to increase your engagement? Or what I was doing for a while, and this harkens back to Kennedy's point on abortion, was aggressively fundraising with them. Like, oh, hey, hey, bro, you don't like abortion? You know what the best way to stop abortion is? Support free contraception. You're going to put your money where your mouth is? Here's a donation link. Yeah, yeah. There we go. <laughs> We did get one donation that way. I'm pretty sure that my co-founder, Devin, convinced someone, won an argument with someone, but like laid out the stakes. So we got this random $500 donation from like a vape shop early in the campaign. <laughs> and I'm like, Devin, what's going on with this? She's like, I want an argument. Nice. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> This is Ashlyn here, coming to you from after the budget reveal on the 22nd. Unfortunately, the budget did not include funding for free birth control, despite the efforts and the promises. Teal recorded this short message for us. Hello, friends from the Life, the Universe, and Everything Else podcast. This is Dr. Teal Phelps Bondaroff, the chair and co-founder of the Access BC campaign for free prescription contraception. I wanted to provide a quick campaign update for you folks, as on February 22nd, the BC Provincial Budget was released. Unfortunately, the budget did not include free prescription contraception. This is, by the way, about a $60 million line item, and we're really hoping to see it in this budget, as it's been many years that we've been campaigning, since 2017, in fact. What does this mean for the campaign? Well, we are disappointed, but not deterred. We're going to keep campaigning hard for free prescription contraception here in British Columbia. This means we're going to continue to mobilize members of civil society to put pressure on the government. We're going to continue to mobilize members of the public to write their MLAs and ask them to include free prescription contraception in the next budget or sooner if possible. And we're going to continue to meet and lobby with MLAs and politicians to talk to them about reproductive justice issues and let them know how important this policy is. We want to encourage people here in British Columbia to visit our website, accessbc.org, where they can write their MLA to tell them that they're disappointed to see that this policy was not included in the budget. And for folks outside of British Columbia, we want to encourage you to reach out to your local campaigns. And if there isn't a campaign in your province, get in touch, set one up, or look for other campaigns that are fighting for reproductive and sexual health issues. There's a lot of issues relating to reproductive justice that we need to be focusing on. And there's not a deficit of work here, folks. So it's time if we all step up and help chip away at the roots of the patriarchy. And we're going to continue to do that here in British Columbia. And now on to something nice. For this recording, I will be your host continually. <laughs> uh, with me today, I have Lauren Bailey. Hi. Laura Creek Newman. Hi there. Jem Newman. Hello. And Dave Bonwick, because we're in our basement. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Thought it was just going to be a hi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got a hello. So we are gathered together in my basement. Since we recorded the other portion of our show, the Newmans have suffered some illness, but they're on their way back to recovery. Woohoo! Yay. 
<laughs> I'm just super excited that this means that we can record this in person because you can't give it to us and we can't give it to you. <laughs> to see our friends. It is nice. So that That's, is definitely yeah. one of my something nices. But we're probably even going to play a board game after this. Holy crap. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Our wall of board games has been so neglected. It's dusty, but that's my fault. Who wants to start us off? Don't everybody speak all at once. (laughs) Well, we're coming up on Lent, which means for secular Lent, I asked my friends what I should give up, and people said being mean to myself. So I'm going to try that for 40 days, see how that goes. We'll see if that's something nice I can do about myself. Wow. Um, Well done. Yeah, I think that's lovely. That is really lovely. (laughs) My actual something nice is an orange cat on the internet. In January, there was an Am I the Asshole post on Reddit about a cat who was being buttered by one of his human co-workers, and his name was Jorts. Sorry, human co-workers? <laughs> yes, Jorts and Jean, who is a tabby, they work at an undisclosed location, and it's people are there 24 hours, and these cats are helpers to the people that this organization supports. Oh, okay. And okay. <laughs> Jorts the cat now has a Twitter account, and it is the best account on Twitter. It's at Jorts the Cat. And well, it's obviously done by human counterparts, so they do have pictures of Jorts holding a cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> and it is a pro-union, socialist, pro-being kind to each other, pro-accepting people where they are in their world account. And yesterday, as of our recording, the Jorts account shamed the AP News account for putting up a picture of refugees in a boat saying this can go to the highest bidder. And the Jorts account shamed them enough that the AP took that down. (laughs) Nice. Good job, kitty. They are also delivering letters of solidarity and congratulations to all the Starbuckses that are, Mm -hmm. I think we're at three now in the states that have started to unionize. Yeah. Well, several have started to the process to unionize, but three have had a pro-union vote. So all of that together wrapped in a adorable orange cat. Check it out. Really cute. Fun. Mm Mm-hmm. I love jorts. Sometimes I get pictures of jorts in my text messages because Lauren sends me pictures of jorts. It is really the only thing on Twitter that keeps me from crying. You can delete it. No. <laughs> like, Twitter is optional. No. <laughs> Death stare from I mean, Lauren, everyone. I have 23 friends on Facebook, mostly because my aunties are there. And I follow two accounts on Instagram, which one is Ashlyn and one is our cat, Leah, also run by Ashlyn. Um, <laughs> And then I have Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) I love you. (laughs) Excuse me, do you not follow my art account? Well, you don't post on your normal one, so I don't even count that one anymore. I follow Ashlyn's art account as well. My apologies. That's uh, that's at Ashlyn Artsy. And Leah's is at Miss underscore Chonkster. (laughs) She's the cutest. (laughs) All right, I'm done talking. (laughs) Somebody else talk. Oh my goodness. Are we just going in order here? Sure, go run circle. Laura, what's your something nice? All right. Well, I'm going to share a couple of them. My first something nice is the fact that vaccines for this damn virus exist. And the, the fact that I was lucky enough to have all that I'm eligible for. And that made my bout with the virus not so bad all things considered. I can definitely see how it could be a lot worse and it could really, really be terrible for some people. And so I'm just really glad for that. And especially there was a high chance that we could have passed it on to a lot of people and we did not, which is 
really impressive. So vaccines work, everybody. <laughs> and um, a testament to your safe party skills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's my first something nice. My second something nice is that our new little hamster is all healthy Aww. again. So she was, we got her and she got sick and hamsters can go downhill pretty fast. Oh. But we were fortunate enough to get her to a vet that knows what they're doing with hamsters and she took her medicine like a champ and now she's all climbing and escape artisty and all of that fun stuff. Why was I not informed you had a hamster? Because we got her and two days later we got COVID and we just like <laughs> went downhill. Oh, what is baby's name? Cloud Strawberry. Oh my god! Thanks, Huckley. <laughs> no, it's Kira. Oh, thanks, Kira. <laughs> the hamster belongs to Kira. It was Kira's birthday present. Mm, so nice. Kira, Kira named her Cloud Strawberry. And she is quite the adorable hamster, I will say. We have a menagerie. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you smile when you watch the hamster doing stuff. I smile when I watch Kira watch the hamster doing stuff. Have you shown Kira the hamster dance? It's still up. No, I forgot about Classic. the hamster dance. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. We heavily limit their YouTube time. So. I remember when we showed them the narwhal song. There was one time, speaking of limiting YouTube time, <laughs> there was one time where I just let Huxley browse YouTube kids on her own just for a couple minutes. And she came into the room and said to Laura, Mommy, we have... Mario Party Superstars, which is a buy. It's good, but we don't have Super Mario Party. That's a don't buy. It sucks. <laughs> and I said, give me that phone. <laughs> Jim was so mad. <laughs> oh, my. Sorry, I'm Laura. I sort YouTube. of stomped no, on your... <laughs> no, that, no, by all means. I am quite enjoying the hamster. She is adorable. And the fact that she is healthy again is... Very happy. Yay. Those are my somethings nice. Yeah, hamsters don't usually recover from things. No. Like, they, it's not that they can't. It's just that it's expensive to take them to vets. Yeah. And because they're little, they go downhill really quickly, right? Mm -hmm. And that kind of stuff. And there's so. not many vets who even can look at them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, there's like two in the city or something like that. Oh, well. well I don't, not that many. Yeah, I'm not anyway. sure how many there are. But, like, you can't just go to any vet on the corner, right? So... Luckily, we there's one that wasn't too far, and they could get us in. Oh, I remember the days when the vets would stand on the corner. They they open up their little coats, and they've got oh my God. <laughs> neutering. I'm sorry. Boy. There's people in my house. This is weird and different. So for my something nice, I've been very busy, but I've been trying to dabble in some media to keep myself sort of mentally functional while I'm trekking through the ortho and MSK segment of my medical education. So I have a book, a TV show, and a video game that I will mention briefly. My something's nice. The first, the book is called Devil House by John Darneal, the lead singer and songwriter of The Mountain Goats. This is a, it's nominally a horror novel, but John Darneal's writing in novel form, like his songs, is very evocative. It's not, this isn't a page turner, it's a slow burn. He writes sort of meandering and meditative prose. Surprising. <laughs> but the book is full of like absolutely stellar, like fully realized characters that are not just there to like serve their function in the narrative. And I'm really enjoying it. 
the TV show that I wanted to mention is The Boys. Have any of you heard of this? No. Nope. So it's, I believe it's on Amazon. Of course, I know it's on Amazon because I def- have an Amazon Prime membership, but I'm not going to watch it on Amazon. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, it's available on Amazon. It is definitely not for everyone. It comes with absolutely all of the content warnings. It's also based on a comic book, but the premise is it's kind of like real life superheroes or superheroes like in our world. And I think it provides a pretty compelling vision of how superheroes might actually fit into the world as it exists today in the sense that they are evil egomaniacs. That makes sense. And the core characters are people who are out to get them. (laughs) And there are some great performances. And I feel like the show has a fairly compelling meditation on power and trauma. If you can, like, sort of get through it. There's sexual assault in the first episode. It's a rough go, but it is quite compelling, in my opinion. I haven't read the comics, but The Boys is very grim. It's it's kind of an anti-superhero work, and it shows how easily this kind of fascistic view of the Ubermensch is so fraught. So if you're interested in Rolling the Dice, it's available on Amazon Prime or wherever you can pirate fine TV shows. And finally, the video game that I wanted to mention is a game called Cloudpunk. It is rough around the edges. It's an indie game. And it comes with it comes with that charming indie game combination of both excellent and extremely mediocre voice acting. Like it just swings wildly back and forth, depending on which character is talking. They can afford one Matt Mercer. <laughs> but it has a great cyberpunk setting and some great storytelling. It's a little rough around the edges, but it's absolutely gorgeous, unless you play it on the Switch, in which case it is not, <laughs> because the Switch port is very bad. It, like, it's playable, but uh, it, it is like Superman 64 playable, level playable, like the entire world is filled with this fog. <laughs> you can see like 30 meters in front of you because they can't render anything, but it's very enjoyable. I like the storytelling. It's calm. There's no combat in it. Your courier in a cyberpunk world in a flying car, and it's fun. Neat. What's your something nice, Dave? I well, my something nice is basically starting in the year two thousand. There was a video game that I really enjoyed playing. It's a kind of a world's domination battle game called M. A. X. Max <laughs> Mechanized Assault and Exploration. <laughs> and uh, ever since I stopped having a computer that could run Windows ninety five games. <laughs> <laughs> I have been wanting to play this game again. So we were talking about games in our one of our chat groups earlier this week, and I decided to search to see if I could remember exactly which game it was. And then the first link showed me that it was all available on Steam. So nice. I spent a couple of nights this week playing this game. Up in Dauphin. I've been wanting so. to play for 20 years. <laughs> Fun! <laughs> That's amazing. And he was all by himself in a hotel room up in Dauphin, Manitoba, so he, it wasn't even <laughs> you know, wrecking family time to game. Yeah, and it is exactly the game that I remember it being, which is always a nice plus, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah! <laughs> so, that's it. That was my something nice that I want. Half of our family time is gaming. <laughs> you don't want to play this game. But playing the same game. We are very privileged for the three of us that our computer setups are on three different floors when we are gaming with friends over Discord, so we don't have to sit and listen to each other on the mics and in person at the same time. It's great. That reminds me, Dave, of when I... 
I used to play Baldur's Gate a lot, and the Baldur's Gate <laughs> one game disc that I had had a preview on it for Planescape Torment, and I just remember watching the video for it over and over and over again and thinking, man, this game looks fucking awesome, <laughs> but I never got around to playing it. And I think maybe five years ago or something, I finally I heard it mentioned again, and I'm like, that sounds familiar. And I went and looked it up, and I'm like, this is that game that I wanted to play. <laughs> and it was on GOG. And so I bought it and downloaded it and played it all the way through. And man, it's great. Feels good to do that. Yeah. In that same chat, someone was able to find the name of a game that I thought my memory had been so corrupted that this game didn't exist. Like, I, I had rehashed this topic so many times, and people had given me so many options that it might be, that I thought it was probably just one of those, and I forgot the details. But there was this game that I would play in, like, grade six computer lab, and you would have to go in these different rooms, and there was rockets or something, and that was all of the information I could remember. And one of our chat group's partners listened to this description and said, here is the game, here is where you can play it on Internet Archive. <laughs> Thanks, Willow. <laughs> and it was, and once I saw the screenshot, I was like, yes, this is exactly my memory. It wasn't corrupted at all. <laughs> Core memory of this game in computer class that I couldn't play hardly ever. Nice. That was good. But my something nice that I was going to say was I cut off all my hair. Ah! Ah! <laughs> like three feet of hair down. So it is extremely light. I weighed it. All of the stuff that I was actually able to keep, I braided up because I can use it for like fake hair for medieval things. And But it is half a pound of hair that I cut off. More than that. But that was braids that I kept. And it is very short and bouncy now. Curly. Yeah, and I have curls. Mm -hmm. Very exciting. It looks awesome. Yeah. I've been real cool. Thinking about doing this for a long time, but I just was very attached to my identity of being a person with long hair. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's all it was doing for me anymore. It was just hurting me. <laughs> and sp speaking of hair, Leah the cat's something nice is she's beginning brushy brushy time every day, so she's not you, when you pet her, you're not coming away with like handfuls of gray fur so just watching laura pet the cat right now and yeah without acquiring a pile of fur this is yeah great. it's working <laughs> you're acceptable for company baby <laughs> i need to i need to get on that with our cats <laughs> she's just so bad at grooming herself she's so chunky <laughs> all right and we have something nices from our guests that we recorded earlier all right and kennedy do you have something nice to share with us this month something nice I have a lot of plants. I'm just going to say most of them started to die in my sad radiator heated apartment because it would just get really cold and then get way too hot. So something nice is that they're all coming back to life. That's, that's my something nice. That's great. Patil, yeah. what's your something nice this month? Well, you start us off by saying that Jem likes doing video games. So I'm going to tell you a very short, funny story that I've experienced, which is I do work on wildlife crime, and I've sort of carved out a little niche for myself as an expert on sea cucumber wildlife crime. And a couple of people who are putting together the book of sea cucumbers, it's a 50-chapter academic book on sea cucumbers, asked me to contribute to two chapters, one on crime and one on sea cucumbers in popular culture. And of course, the question I asked was, where do sea cucumbers appear in popular culture? And you've all seen them in SpongeBob SquarePants. There's a Pokemon that's a sea cucumber. But there are some video games that are also sea cucumber based. One of them is called Trepang 2. It's a first person shooter game. And Trepang is another name for like a dried sea cucumber in the South Pacific. So I reached out to the CEO of the company and was like, dude, I got to ask you, is this about sea cucumbers? 
And this amazing guy wrote me like a seven page essay about his relationship with like sea cucumbers and the origins of the name. It's Trepang 2 because Trepang 1 was a first like an indie game he designed at the University of Victoria where you play a sea cucumber and shoot your guts at people. Ah. And no, it's like no relation to sea cucumbers at all. It was just a cool name they came up with. But now he's designing a new level. It's on an oil platform. And I was like, dude, you got to work some sea cucumbers in. He's like, you know what? We're putting sea cucumbers in. So anyone here months from now is playing Trepang 2. They download it on Steam and they find a sea cucumber in the ocean platform level. That was my little bit of influencing of a video game to help encourage a bit of marine wildlife conservation tie-in with a first-person shooter. <laughs> That's great. Uh, you had you do Dr. have the Pelt most... Andrafe is now a video game designer as well. <laughs> consultant. I can barely turn on Discord for this, so let's go with consultant. Yeah. I was going to say, you do have the most interestingly unique niche I've ever heard of. <laughs> what are we talking about next month, Jim? Well, Lauren, I think <laughs> that we are going to talk once again about the horrors of medical history. Yay! Topic that never ends! <laughs> it's true. So while sometimes we can talk about the horrors of medical present. Yeah. <laughs> but in this case, I just, I really want to talk about Henry Cotton. Would <laughs> <laughs> you like to give the listeners a teaser? Well, what if I told you you could cure all mental illness by knocking out everybody's teeth? Huh. Maybe this explains it, because I still have some baby teeth, and I have a butt-ton of mental illnesses. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Well, all Thank right. you for Let's that Let's find note. out how this is going to go next episode. <laughs> Thanks for joining me today, everybody. Yay! Thanks for having us in your home. Yay! <laughs> uh, have a great night. Leave us a review. Oh, yeah. We haven't got one of those in a while, so they definitely help keep the show going and help people find the show and, and like that. Leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever the heck you found it. And write some words, just like any words. It helps. Yeah, even just bang that keyboard a couple times. Yeah. We don't care what it says. Get your cat to lie on it, roll around a little bit. I need everyone to tell me what their favorite potato preparation is. <laughs> we can do a potato show. Potato cast. <laughs> is this a potato? <laughs> Not potato. We can cover the sweet potato yam, white sweet potato controversy. What, Jim? You look so upset about this topic. Now he doesn't want to do bad medical history. <laughs> <laughs> medical history up next time. I yes. don't want to do potato cast. <laughs> <laughs> a joke. <laughs> Jim will take a month off and we'll do potato cast. <laughs> I vote potato cast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. On that note, good night, everybody. <laughs> good night. Good night. Please <laughs> have a good night. <laughs> yep. She, she found the new person that doesn't have disdain. <laughs>The Universe and Everything Else is produced by Jem Newman and Ashlyn Noble. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is with a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, or by sharing an episode with a friend. Original music is produced by Ian James, and this episode was edited by Marissa McCool, who you can find on Patreon at patreon.com slash QAF. QAF.